electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The late summer rebound stocks continue to rally back from their August upset. The Investment Committee now debates what the fall might hold for your money. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Shannon Sakosha. Jason Snipe and Jenny Harrington. Let's check the markets here, show you what we're doing now. We are in the green across the board. Maybe not as strong as we were right out of the gates, but nonetheless, we're hanging on to gains here. There's 408. That's the yield on the 10-year. So, Josh, we're about to turn the calendar. Final trading day of the month. Um, Really a tale of two months. You know, the start of August to the low on the S&P was down 5.5%. Yeah. Now the month-to-date declines 1.5%. So we've been clawing our way back. The central question to me is, have the bulls wrestled the market back again? Well, I think the, the, the answer to that question is yes, but it's all predicated on a better earnings situation going into the second half of the year, because one of the strongest points that the bulls had um, during the midst of this quarter was that, yes, earnings weren't great, but they were better than feared, and more importantly, they were troughing. And maybe they're troughing, or maybe they're getting a lot of help from some very large consumer discretionary and tech companies, and maybe they're not troughing in every sector. But that's really what you have to believe if you want to believe that this can continue uh, into the second half of the year. I think it can. I'm most concerned now, though, about the consumer. Um, and, and, and I think and I think when you look at blow ups, and I know we're going to talk about Dollar General later in the show, but there have been a lot of retail blow ups. Not only do I not like the stock price reaction to those blowups, I don't like the accompanying commentary mm-hmm. uh, and, and what it might mean going forward, because these types of things typically don't happen as one-offs. Usually when you start to see this, it gets worse and it's more than one quarter. So it's very widespread. It's very concerning. And if you ask me, like, what is the big risk now for stock market investors, I am not going to tell you it's market-wide or S&P earnings. I'm going to tell you it's consumer behavior changing from where it was in the first six months of this year. Yeah, where it was ripping and now maybe it's softening. But it all still depends, Jenny, on on which retailers. Josh, we'll talk about it later, and I don't want to get into it now, but it does depend on which one you're listening to, because there are some that have really done quite well, and it sort of throws a little bit of cold water on the idea, generally speaking, that retail itself, apparel overall, is horrible. Again, we'll get there later. Uh, Do do you feel like, now that we're ending this month, that the the bulls have that momentum back? Because mid-month, it felt pretty bad, and it felt like, okay, this could be the start of a broader correction, and it just never really materialized. And we've roared back, as I said, just to underscore this, 5.5% from the start of August to the low on the S&P, the, the, the decline this month, now just 1.5%. 
Right. And so when you said, do you think they have this momentum? And I immediately said, no, no, they had this momentum, but I don't think they have it going forward. And something I've been thinking about a lot is how in the short term, the market moves on behavior, and in the long term, it moves on math. And the math right now doesn't work for the bulls to continue their momentum. Because to get to get to where we were at the high two years ago, right, to get to back to 4,800, we basically need $240 earnings and an 18 to 20 times multiple. And that's really hard to justify because what we're seeing is the economy is slowing. To Josh's point, there's you know there are signs of consumer weakness. If rates stay higher, and the Fed's not talking about cutting, if rates stay higher, you cannot justify valuations much higher than 20 but times. Rates are, but rates are coming down. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's part of the story from mid-month to today. Remember, you could throw up the 10-year again not, as we watch okay. it. Right, remember, we're, we're above 430 on the 10-year. At, at one point, okay? And not that long ago either. Right, but they're Now not, you're at 408. They're is, not is it any down. coincidence that rates have, have come down and stocks have gone up? They're not coming down in such a significant way that it's going to say, hey, move to 22 times earnings, right? It's marginal. We've kind of toggled in this range, 430. I'm going to say I'm okay with, with an 18 times multiple in a range of like 380 to, I don't know, 430 on the 10 year. So it's a pretty wide range. So yeah, they've come down, but it's not meaningful. And so I just think that the next year probably has more of this range bound activity that we've had over, had over the past two years. I mean, we are flat over two years. One thing that I saw that was interesting this morning was I'd been thinking about this idea of math, right? And in the long term for the market to move higher, we need to have the math working. And then I read this headline that said Citadel screens 69,000 intern applicants to find next math genius. And what that reminds me is that the really smart money, the really great rich investors, like what do they value? They value the math of the equation behind investing and the math doesn't work for this market to move too much higher. I don't know. Do you agree with that, Jason Snipe? The math doesn't work for this market to move much higher. The, the implication, obviously, from Jenny is that stocks are too expensive with right. rates still where they are. P.E. is too rich 100%. to be justified at this level. Do you agree or disagree? I think it, to, to a certain extent I do. I, obviously, at, at some point, obviously, those, those two cross currents have to make sense. I mean, the math has to make sense. I, but I, what I will say in the short term, I think what has happened and why we've seen some of the run that we've seen is a disinflationary narrative has really started to play out. Softer ADP, softer jolts numbers, obviously GDP revisions from 2.4 to 2.1 percent. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing some slowdown, and I think it's more of a float down potentially, and I think that's why we've seen a lot of the price action that we've seen over the course of the last couple next over the last couple weeks um, we're heading into conference season we'll see what happens when these CEOs are out here talking about companies and the status and where they are I think that will have an impact but it's it there I'm trying to find the catalyst going forward into the next uh, round of earnings and I think we, we might be choppy for the next couple weeks Shan what do you think yeah, I mean, I think that the, the major challenge, not to um, harp too much on the consumer, but Josh already made some great points. Um, I think to, to extend on that, what is the consumer behavior going to look like in 2024 and 2025? Like, we're, we're in this interim period where I think we're hitting an inflection of what do consumers want to spend money on? You saw it in the Consumer Confidence Report. Gas prices, food prices reaccelerating. Um, a, perhaps a, a hesitancy, if you will, um, to... Uh, continue to spend money on services. We've already seen that in Europe, by the way. We've already seen that they've hit that inflection point in, in terms of consumers. But you also have to take a look at what you're paying for. And
and understand that there are still sectors areas that per, are traditionally more defensive and um, perhaps less cyclical that could afford you an opportunity to participate in some additional upside as we go into 2024. Utilities, healthcare. My challenge here in looking utilities at the landscape. Utilities been brutal, right, yeah, this year? Yeah, absolutely brutal. But the, the challenge is that you have to expect that there is going to be an end to tightening, which I think we're all, you know, fairly confident about. Hey, Bostic says right now it should be the end. Well, now he's not a voting member, but he makes some critical points today that says, you know what, rates are high enough. And, and there are some suggestions within the readings on inflation that we may be closer to our target than some might think. Well, some would also like to think that that target is closer to 3% than 2%, Scott, so let's be honest about that. Um, I think Bostic is, is a great example of the Fed continuing to control the narrative even when it's not voting members. Powell could not come out and say in Jackson Hole last week that, they, that we believe that we could overshoot and that overshooting or over-tightening is now the concern. He's going to let the non-voting members do that. If that's the case, Scott, we're still in a scenario, to Jenny's point about valuations, where we are still higher rates for longer. The, the inflation problem is not solved, and they are not going to be comfortable with 3%, and we still have re-accelerating potential wage issues as we're looking at everything that's happening in the labor market. I, I want to go back, Josh, to this valuation conversation, discussion, argument, if it's going to develop into that because if you if you look at the performance of mega cap tech it's it's skewed the the overall valuation of the market however if you look at the 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 current valuation of the equal weight s p it's at 15 times you telling me that's rip roaring expensive i mean if you include the whole s p it's 18 and a half times because you've got the more forward valuations and and higher valuations in some of the Magnificent seven names. So is the market really as expensive as it would seem on the surface or no? Uh, well, the market cap uh, weighted S&P 500 is outperform uh, outperforming equal weight by 11% year to date. Well, because obviously those tech stocks have, have roared. Agree. But I want you to think about how rare we get this degree of outperformance. You have to go back to 1998 to see this degree of large cap market cap weighted pulling away from, uh, from equal weight. And I think that's a function of where is the biggest earnings growth? Where are the stock prices with the most excitement in their daily trading? That's all in one place, and that's what's happening. And yeah, there's a huge amount of skew. So if you ask me, like, are stocks reasonably valued? Can you buy them? You can. You just might not want to focus your entire attention on the S&P 50. So let's just take a look. You take a, a look at a 19 forward PE on the S&P 500. Mid and small caps are a 14 forward P.E. Is that an expensive stock market in absolute terms? No, it's not. Is that expensive relative to where interest rates are? No, it isn't. Is it expensive relative to international? Nope. How about relative to history? No, not at all. You can buy mid caps. You can buy small caps. You're not overpaying. You're not doing something reckless. These stocks are cheap. Do they have the same earnings growth as Apple, Microsoft? No, probably not. Maybe so more. That's, maybe more. Maybe a lot of those some guys are areas, less market. Market wide, though, probably not. But some areas, yes. So it's it's never going to be yes or no buy stocks. It's which stocks or what areas of the market do you want to overweight? And for me, I think you can look at areas that just haven't done as much as the Nasdaq, and you could feel comfortable that these are these are good opportunities if your time horizon is longer than 15 minutes. 
I, yeah. We talk a lot about multiple, right, Scott? We talk a lot about valuation. The, the, the reality is, is that we should be talking about what does earnings growth look like in a continued high rate, continued higher cost environment. And so, yes, earnings may have trough, but what do earnings, what does earnings growth look like for next year? That's where you have to look at whether the multiple is justified or not. I well, know we're, I we're, mean, it's not just next year. This current quarter is the turn is the, the trough, the unless what lie. the market says. Unless, that, but unless. No, not, of course, it's not set in stone, <laughs> but the estimates are, the expectations are that earnings are going to start turning forward in the third quarter. They go even a little higher in the fourth quarter. And by the time you get into next year, you're back towards earnings growth, not earnings declined like we've seen for three straight quarters. I was just going to add to that, only if, and I talked about this earlier, only if the consumer story holds up. And we just saw a savings rate drop to a very low level for this past month's data. Um, and I want to share with you a little bit on the labor front, because this has been the source of what most of what the bulls have been saying. Consumers hanging in there. Consumers still strong. Consumers still consuming. It's very rich people taking very expensive European vacations and not a whole lot else unless you talk about housing. Uh, my friend Peter Bookfar was talking about the August Challenger job cut report. I haven't seen anybody else referencing this. Companies year to date have announced 557,000 job cuts. That's not showing up yet in the headline unemployment, but that's what's coming eventually. It takes a very long time. That's a 200 plus percent increase in the amount of job cuts as we had in the prior year. It's, it's noteworthy. Um, and then if you think about, and then if you think about the, those job openings numbers that we saw in Jolts, start putting that piece of the puzzle together. If you don't get follow through with the consumer in back to school sales, if we start hearing weak back to school in September, you'd be amazed at how fast the sentiment on Wall Street can shift. And all of a sudden, we start thinking that bad news is bad news. Yeah. Bad unless, news becomes bad news unless, again. Unless you hear all that and you're like, okay, well, that's exactly what the Fed wants. And that means you're just closer to eventual cuts in rates. So than, do you get, than, a new high in the, you get a new high in the stock market from that? I mean, you never, the way that this market reacts, you, you never know. I do want to touch on earnings since we, since we went there and just take a look at some of the cloud names today, whether it's Okta or it's CrowdStrike, which Josh will get to in a second. Salesforce, Jason Snipe used to own that. That's giving a nice lift today. Um, the bottom line is basically they all beat and they all raised. And, and that's what brings you to the cloud uh, rips today, whether it is Okta, uh, their sales force. Josh, you can take CrowdStrike here because you own it. They did beat, they raised their full year outlook. I, look, I, my, my thesis on CrowdStrike is not complex. I think it's one of the better operators in the space. There are other stocks you can make money in, but the bottom line is that cybersecurity is not a, a want, it's a, it's a must. Anyone that owns a business understands this. Uh, anyone that's had their data stolen understands. Anyone that's been involved in lawsuits, this is yeah. something that must happen. And so CrowdStrike is very good at closing sales. That's why they were able to report the quarter they did, even in an environment where we're hearing from a lot of enterprise uh, software and enterprise tech that there's been like a slowdown in decision making. Uh, CrowdStrike seems fine. I think the stock goes higher, tons of upgrades, tons of price targets going up today. And if you look at the quarter, you're talking about a company, they beat on revenue, they beat on earnings, they guided higher on both. That's like, what else do you want to hear? This is not a stock that's just tripled this year. This is a stock that's been in the penalty box for, I don't know, 24, 26 months. Um, so I like to see this reaction in the stock price, and I don't think this is all we're going to see. Jason, you own Palo Alto. I mean, it was, you know, Fortinet kind of scared people 100%. weeks back. Yeah. Like, uh-oh, you know, what's going on in this cyberspace? And yeah. then Palo Alto, 
you know, sets the Friday, summer Friday yeah. earnings release. And people are like, okay, maybe this is now going to be the second you know, hit on these stocks. And of well, course it wasn't. Those yeah. Palo Alto was just one. fine. Right. And now CrowdStrike is just fine. Right. Um, Not so fine. 37% yes. revenue well, growth. I remember well, you two, remember you two tried five. to scare yes. the bejesus out of me for standing yeah. behind it. Jason yeah. Snipe. Yeah. Yeah. Snipe, Palo Alto. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, as it relates to Palo Alto, I mean, I agree with Josh on all the fundamental themes are still very much intact. From a cybersecurity perspective, you still need to focus on And enterprise spend is still there. Um, a really strong quarter, 81% EPS growth, 26% revenue growth for the stock. And I think what's really nice about Palo Alto, they're balancing growth with profitability. And I think that's what the street is is acknowledging them for, and I think that's why the stock's up 70%. Yeah, well, lo and behold, tech is outperforming yet again. It's a perfect segue into the question, Shannon, as to whether you know the Nasdaq's going for its eighth up day out of the last nine, whether tech is going to remain the place to be. People like Jenny started to make the argument, and, and others have who are underweight in the mega cap names, that you don't need to be there. There are plenty of other places to look. Well, I want to know what you think about this idea. You've got a few months left in the year. It's not like a long stretch of time as to whether, you know, if there is a chase for performance left to come, whether that's the place you're going to continue to see it. All right. So the so the equation for success in tech this quarter, right, was cut costs, (laughs) increase Mm -hmm. margin and raise guidance. I mean, and they all have essentially. Oh, and mention AI. You mentioned AI, you, you, you cut costs, well um, and you, you figure out a way to raise your guidance. And you were able to deliver a, a really nice result with, frankly, somewhat limited upside in the stock prices because a lot of them had traded ahead of that. And so, I, you know, if I'm looking at from now until the end of the year, how does that get replicated with, you know, the, the, the comment that Josh just made with long sales cycles? They're all talking about long sales cycles. And so how long do tech investors expect to hang in there on the AI story for those secondary and tertiary AI names. Not NVIDIA, fine, they're delivering. They're already benefiting because they're they're in the first part of the, they're in the first inning of this. You mean like a Broadcom, for example, which reports earnings in overtime tonight, and that's been very much part of the story. Christina Partzinevelos is here with what to expect from that. It's the perfect segue to you, right? People talk about it, but they don't mention it in the same light as the NVIDIAs of the world or Alphabets or Microsofts. No, they don't. But Broadcom can actually be one of those names that would see tangible benefits from that AI revenue. And I say that because it has exposure to Ethernets as well as custom silicon. You had other companies like, let's say, Ambarella two days ago, right? They're they're moving into video processors that are going to be used for AI infrastructure. But their report showed still weakness in the consumer. The stock dropped double digits. With Broadcom, it's the last big chip maker to announce their earnings. Uh, They've been pretty consistent over the last several six quarters in terms of growth within various business segments. Um, The concern for me is that last week we had a little bit more of a muted reaction from NVIDIA shares after the earnings came out. It closed 4% lower on Friday. Same thing from Marvell. But if you look at some of the data, buy side ownership for Broadcom is pretty high. And why is that? Valuation is lower than a lot of other names. Evaluation, Ford P is around 21 times. Marvell's at 34 times. So you can already say, hey, this is a little bit cheaper. With Broadcom, though, I think the, the big part of this is that it's considered a little bit less cyclical because of its diversification in end markets and the fact that it does have exposure to that AI CapEx spend in, in the form of silicon, custom silicon, as well as Ethernets. We'll see. The CEO did warn that last quarter that the second half might be muted. So 
So I feel like that kind of set like a weird bar. Yeah, not to mention the fact, and you referenced this too, and we saw it with NVIDIA, that most of these stocks have run fairly strongly in, into their numbers, which you know ha has to be part of the story as well, just like you know investors may have felt it was already baked in by the time NVIDIA delivered their second blowout quarter in a row just a few weeks ago. I think that the argument is those that got in, got in, right? And you kind of almost missed the boat. You're seeing it with the entire index. Almost every single constituent of the stocks is lower, with the exception of, of course, NVIDIA, uh, Marvell. No, sorry, not Marvell. With the Broadcom are in that mix. But we may actually see for the first time in three months the entire sector close in the red for uh, the month of August. So this is a concern. Uh, I think there's questions about the durability of this AI revenue growth in the near term. You know, the hype can only go so far. Let's see if that actually equates to numbers. Amberell is an example where it didn't equate to numbers. There's a few other reports, too. So we'll see if that happens with Broadcom. Yeah, Steph Link has been all over Broadcom, um, by the way. And she's talked about it so many times on this program, just trying to counter the narrative that it's NVIDIA and everybody else. You know, Jenny, the, the chip rip, as we're calling it, in a one-week performance, SMH is up 5% in a week. NVIDIA is 5%. Broadcom 7%. Um, you're looking at, you know, 5 6 7% gains in, in many of these stocks within that space. And I think you need to go stock by stock and look at each one and say, what's the valuation? What's the earnings reality here? You know, we own Intel and we own Teradyne, and that's just a, a safer way. But you can look at those individually and say, okay, you know, I think that the... I think that the earnings story pairs well with the valuation story. Therefore, I've got something that I can work with in the future. But I think you, I think you are back to not painting chips with a broad brush. You need to go one by one. I totally agree. These are not all the same. They're not interchangeable. This is not like you could substitute ruffles with baked lays and nobody will know the difference. <laughs> um, and for the valuation people who held their nose at NVIDIA for five years, the stock actually got significantly cheaper after this last earnings quarter than what it was valued at in January. Yep. So there's an argument to be made that if it was too rich for your blood in January, maybe take another look because it's gone from 43 times earnings to 33. And that is a material difference. So that's one. Uh, two, NVIDIA is not, what's good for NVIDIA is not necessarily good for all of the companies in this space because of how unique the accelerated computing story is. They're just not all playing in that same sandbox. And in fact, their data center wins have to come at the expense of someone. Someone else has to lose. So I don't think it's a good proxy, even though it's a huge weighting with an SMH. It doesn't, it's not a rising tide uh, benefiting all ships. I'd point out NVIDIA new high uh, yesterday, closed at a new all time high 40 times in the year 2021 zero times in 2022. Mm. Uh, this was $120 stock that is now approaching 500. It has not been all wine and roses for the last few years. Um, but this year, we've had 13 new all-time high closes. Um, uh, most of those have come in the last 68 days. And you know this is a stock that has not only made a tremendous comeback, but then has made progress. You cannot point at it and say, oh, it's a bubble because the earnings uh, have grown to such a degree that the stock continues to get cheaper as it goes up. It probably won't continue like this indefinitely. I'm just telling you the story so far. You know, and, and Christina, I'll let you wrap it up. And, and the other reality check that some of these companies have gotten recently is that if you're not part of the AI narrative, um, you're at risk of being left behind, not just from a, you know, a, a sales standpoint, but just where all the chat is going. I mean, Stacey Raskin yesterday, good example here, 
downgrades Texas Instruments mm. to the equivalent of a cell. One of the top-rated analysts on the street knows the space as well as anybody. Um, we don't talk about Texas Instruments all that much. That's my, part of my point. Yeah, with Texas, uh, his argument was that you need to hold on to it a lot longer if you want to reap the benefits. I think there's one confusing part of this conversation, and I want to bring it back to CrowdStrike and Okta really quickly. You saw strength, right? And there's, we're supposed to see this drop in IT spend. You have the AI victims, the AI beneficiaries. Uh, you know, just to Josh's point, there's going to be people or companies that are going to lose out as more money shifts towards CapEx AI or AI CapEx. But... Last night's earnings with Okta as well as CrowdStrike showed a different story, that IT spend is still pretty robust, resilient. Maybe you can argue it's towards that AI cybersecurity spend. But overall, I found that to be a little bit conf conflicting with what we're seeing with some of the chip makers. Yeah. Good stuff, Christina. Thank you. Christina Parsonevelos. Joining us here on Halftime Straight Ahead, an upgrade for one stock city says is an early AI play. We've got some ownership on the desk as well. We reveal it. We debate it, and we'll do it in our call of the day next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. One of our calls of the day today, Arista Networks, right there. Stock's up more than 4%. Loving Upgraded this. to buy at City. Josh <laughs> What's has going stock. on? They say upside of nearly 20%, and yeah. you bought it just last week. I did. I don't, I don't own a lot of it. I wish I could say I owned more, but I don't own it much lower than where it is right now. When I, what, I, what I said when I bought it was, was this. Everyone is out there now looking for the next NVIDIA, and understandably, it might be the greatest stock of all time. Um, what they're looking at are other companies that are going to benefit from this wholesale global shift to accelerated computing. And you can have all the NVIDIA uh, H100 chips you want uh, or A100s or whatever. Like, you can have all of that equipment, but if your networks can't talk to each other, then it's just collect it's meaningless. So what Arista Networks is, is uh, the company supplying the switches and the routers for next generation uh, data centers and for accelerated computing. Uh, they're not the only player there, they're just the best. And uh, I think that this is the type of stock that could benefit over the next three to five years as we see this build out take place. Again, I don't think I'm buying a value stock here. I understand I'm paying up. I think it's worth paying up because this is a very unique situation 
at a unique point in time. So that's the idea behind Arista. All right. And uh, nice to see other analysts coming along and, and uh, agreeing. Your fellow uh, shareholder, Jason Snipe, you bought yeah. it in March. Oh, uh, look at that. Yes, sir. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> what did you pay, Jason? <laughs> Less than you did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he paid eight times earnings. <laughs> well done, Jason. <laughs> right, right. No, but I mean, Josh sums it up perfectly. I mean, it's a leading cloud network solutions provider. Um, this switching, and I think, um, What's super interesting about Arista, I think most of the market thought data center and cloud spend was going to be slow this year. Clearly, it's been the opposite, and they're truly benefiting from that. You know, revenue was up 39% this past quarter. EPS growth was up over 46%. This company continues to beat on the top and the bottom and continue to raise their guidance, so that's why we own it. You know, the other one I wanted to hit on, Jenny, was, was 3M. Got upgraded. It's been in the news a lot lately. Right, a couple days, the stock really rocked. Uh, upgraded to equal weight at Morgan Stanley. Target goes to 113. We can look at the Woo-hoo. stock and you own it. Why are you laughing? Because there is no segue from, from Arista to 3M. It doesn't three have to be. 3M is one of our... I yeah. thought we were sticking How about the stock accelerating for shooting? Tell us about Scotch Tail. The opposite of AI is 3M and Post-it notes. <laughs> so when I bought this a year and change ago, it was with the idea that I thought at that point with the stock being down so much, with so much bad news and, and bad expectations incorporated into the share price, I thought I was buying it at the right time I bought it early. So what we have in the last couple of weeks is that the um, is that the numbers are actually coming out on what they're on what they are going to need to pay for the litigation over PFOS, which are the forever chemicals that are there in the water, and also for the earplug litigation. So those yeah. numbers are coming out and there is finally real clarity coming in. But it's interesting because um, Morgan Stanley, Goldman, J.P. Morgan, they're all out there and they're all kind of at neutral. They all have price targets between 113 and 117. 3M spinning off their healthcare business. It's still a really messy story. You know me, I love hairy, messy stories because I think that's where there's opportunity. So I think there is upside. I think a floor has kind of been set right now on the shares. You've got a five and change dividend yield. It's a dividend aristocrat. They've paid forever and grown the dividend forever. I think that'll continue, but it's messy. Even the, look, Getting even better, part of the, messy. Even part of the upgrade says it's, it could still be messy, but yeah. maybe it's in the stock. Well, because they're thinking that even though even though they've agreed to pay about $6 billion for the earplugs, they think that there will be more behind that. Um, but at least real numbers are coming out. And I should say, the expectation for this round of earplug litigation was that it would be a $10 billion fine. So coming in at $6 billion is a bit better. But it's just, it's chemi- just a how big, big... How big can the chemical... Because I've, I've been looking at the stock. It's It's been cut in half already. Mm-hmm. How big do we think those numbers are going to be on the forever chemical Nobody side, can and for how, that. how long do you think this? Nobody drag can out? answer. Who knows? But I think it's dragged out a lot. But right now they're at about 25 billion over the next 10 years, and so like who knows how much bigger it can be. But for what their revenues are, for what the company can handle, like they can digest that. This is a company that does does make things that we use every day, even though it's like post-it notes and and uh, band aids and stuff like that. Bandages, sorry, not band aids. Um, so, but the opposite of AI. <laughs> You're the one who's made the argument that you don't need to necessarily be on what the hottest trend in the market is to see some nice rewards. That's true. And that is an accurate statement. Well, I would like to think that, you know, I make accurate statements. (laughs) Thank you. Let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. 
Hey, Scott, nearly 75 people were killed in Johannesburg, South Africa today in one of the deadliest residential fires in the country's history. A fire raged through a rundown five-story apartment block overnight, where witnesses said some 200 or more people lived in an informal settlement. Authorities have not established the cause, but suggested the flames could have started with a candle. The White House reported that President Biden signed a major disaster declaration, ordering all available federal resources to help Florida's hurricane response efforts. The FEMA administrator announced that she will tour the area with Governor Ron DeSantis to assess damages. He is requesting federal aid for all 25 counties impacted by Adalia. And Taylor Swift's Eras Tour swept across stadiums and is now making its theater debut. The concert film, the concert film opens October 13th at all U.S. AMC theater locations, and prices are higher than usual, with kids' tickets costing around $13. That's a nod to the singer's favorite number. And adult tickets priced at $19.89. And if you need to ask why, well, you are not a Swifty, Scott. Yeah, I don't think anybody needs to ask why <laughs> at this point. Thank you, Silvana. Silvana, you now it. coming up, our chart of the day. It's a big dive for one retailer, what it means for the state of the consumer. We're going to get into that next. We'll be back in a couple minutes here on the Halftime Report. Dow's gone negative, as has the S&P. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Chart of the day. We mentioned it earlier. It's Dollar General. It's sinking after cutting its outlook and missing on expectations. Ugly chart today. Um, Josh, I just want you to finish the thought that you started off, you know, at the top of the show. I know you didn't want to go into any detail because you knew we were going to do it later. Uh, but what this significance of this is, that Ma as Matthew Boss, by the way, downgrades the stock, cuts the target to 132. He had it at 210. Look, I think, I think obviously shrinkage and and you know all of those issues plays a role at every retailer like i don't i don't really think anyone's immune uh to what's going on but i think there's a lot more than that uh at at play this is a tough business model in the best of times their margins are not great in the very very best of times these are not the very best of times we've had a couple of years of just historic consumption and at a certain point that's got to cool off a little bit um, and then you've got margin pressure everybody has margin pressure some companies are better than than others at dealing with it but this is the lowest of the low end uh, in terms of margins historically so who's going to get squeezed the worst of course it's going to be these types of stocks and and Dollar Tree wasn't immune and that's why they're blowing up and I I really don't see the opportunity here. I asked the producers to show uh, the difference between a business like this and the polar opposite, which is uh, LVMH. Um, LVMH has gained market share uh, where this company has destroyed market share, and this is operating margins. And you could look at this several different ways. You could look at profit margins, et cetera, but like just on operating margins alone, LVMH outgrows Dollar General 
and preserves these massive margins. If you're an investor, that's what you want to be invested in. Companies that are selling to that consumer, growing the business 20% and having 20 some odd percent operating margins. This company, now 6%, does 6 go to 5? Does 5 go to 4? Does anyone want to stay here, stick around and find out? And as a kicker, not really any revenue growth either. So the way I think about investing, I own a company that's growing 40% a year that has 20% profit margins. I'm not going to then take my dollars and invest in a company that's flat growth with 6% margins. So I think if more of us thought like business owners, we would allocate differently, and this stock would not be in most people's portfolios. So, so Jenny, Kohl's, VF Corp, um, it's been tough for apparel, yeah, unless you've been really, really lucky to be in, in the, the right place, but the right place has been hard to find. Actually, it's not that hard to find. I keep this list, here I'll show you guys. I keep this list of the retailers, because I think it's fun. And I've separated into the winners and the losers. And I've got 13 retailer winners, and 11 losers. And so even if you look at Target, Josh, to your point about margins are so tough, actually Target had a good quarter because margins were better that's, than expected. That's easy, having 13 winners and 11 losers? That doesn't sound like it's so easy oh, to pick. given what we'd expect, I feel like the narrative- Wait, Target's focusing, a winner this quarter. Hold on, hold on. This quarter. The narrative, I think, is being overly negative and overly bearish. When you look at it and you're actually like, you know what, a lot of the retailers are doing a-okay. And you look at Victoria's Secret. So that's your, you know, that's apparel that was just today. Victoria's Secret's up like, I think, five and change percent last I checked, and management saying, hey, they're seeing improving sales trends. You know what else was interesting today? Academy Sports came out. So we saw Dix a week or so ago. Dix was horrible. You have Academy Sports, and actually they're up 13 and change percent. Are you talking about, when you say up 13 and change percent, are you talking, because I... Because I don't think, you know, I think you got to be careful in the way that you look at some of these apparel. If you're looking at, at performance from the beginning of the year, we're talking talk, about at okay. this point, hold on, I'll come back to you, I promise. We're, we're talking, you know, from, from sort of here forward or, or more recently, you know, if these stocks are about to take a dive, it almost doesn't matter what happened at the beginning of the year. If, if to Josh's and worry, consumer is about to turn more dramatically, for example, Target's okay, down almost 7% in a month. VF. That matters to me more than whatever if they, if they were up before that. But this goes exactly back to VF Corp. And why did I buy VF Corp? Right? Why are there things that you can buy? Because VF Corp has already anticipated this. And people are, people's expectations for the consumer are so horrible and so terrible. So VF Corp's already down 80%. Like, where are you going to turn? And that consumer skews not at LVMH, but certainly not at Dollar General or Dollar Tree. So there's a lot to do there, but it also, if we're trying to look at retail broadly and say, what's the consumer really doing? And then and then look at the stocks, which are separate, two separate things. What you're seeing from a lot of them, you're seeing it from Victoria's Secret, you're seeing it from Target, you're seeing it from Academy Sports and from Signet Jewelers announced this morning too. And they have good, they had good earnings. What you're seeing is Actually, the consumer, by and large, is not quite as weak as investors expected them to be when they pushed many of these share prices down too much. Jason, so there are opportunities. Stocks here. in a 53% drawdown uh, target. And so that's why. My, which one are you talking about right well, now? No, you said winners. In what? Winners on Winner earnings. Winner on the, on the sorry, last. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Winnings after. So earnings it went up calls. 3% after earnings. Which one are you talking about Target? now? Target? Yes, and Walmart was down, right? But why was Target up? Because margins were a little better than expected. Okay. And so that's what like VF Corp is down, is down 53% over the last year. Absolutely. So what a great time to buy. And actually, it's down 80% from its high. Unless it's down that much for a reason. It was down that much for a reason. Why? Because they were a pandemic beneficiary, right? Earnings ballooned, got way too crazy. 
a lot of that had to be worked off. Inventory had to be worked off. Now you've got a really, really well-managed company that has 120 plus year history of managing brands well, trading at 10 times earnings. You can look forward and say, okay, these earnings have been reset. They're sustainable. It's a five plus percent dividend yield. From here, we're in excellent shape. And, and their consumer is holding up okay, right? Their consumer is not the Dollar Tree. So you've got a lot of mishmash in, real, in, in retail, but I think it's interesting for me, and that's why I've been tracking it post-earnings calls. Victoria, to see. Victoria's Secret, you mentioned it, downgraded today at Wells. Okay, but meanwhile, Chewy the stock's up 7%. It. Why? Because they're seeing improving sales trends. Chewy downgraded, Hostess downgraded, Costco and, now. But, but look at what the Chewy share price is doing. Jason Snipe, I, yep. I can't. Jason Snipe, same store sales, they're up. Yeah. Costco. Strong performance outside the U.S., that's your stock. 100%. And I think as it relates to Costco, all these names are not created equal. I think that's a conversation we're having. And the consumer's not that and, weak and it's But it, it's also not the same consumer for all these stores, clearly. Sure. right? So same store sales were up. Internationally, Costco is doing well. The stock is up 20% year-to-date. But I always look at the predictability of that membership renewal stream. And that's really why I like Costco. And that's why it's a little bit more costly than some of the others. Shan? Uh, you don't, uh, <laughs> historically, for Dollar General, Ross Stores, TJX even, you get a trade down during economic weakness. We're not seeing a trade down because, you know, higher income households do not have to trade down right now. And so they're losing money out of the back door to a lower income consumer that has, has experiencing significant stress from, from food and gas prices, does not have any fiscal stimulus coming to them any longer, and is now going to be facing an environment over the next six, nine, 12 months where prices aren't gonna go down, Scott. And so without that, that replacement in terms of trade down, these are, these, all of these types of companies are gonna be in the So I just think, look, the, the retail ETF, the XRT, okay, it's up, what is it, up 6%? Year to date, so it's 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 trailed the S and P um, by half, at least. Um, now discretionary as a sector is up 33, but be careful how you read that because right. that's like Amazon and Tesla, right? Right. So I don't know. You know, you're hard pressed to make a case that now is a great time to buy apparel or or retail I, names. My point was. You can cherry pick. It's a great time to cherry pick. You can find things that have moved asynchronously. As earnings have come out, I think there's not as much weakness in doomsday scenario as was previously expected. All right, Mike Santoli next with his midday word. We're back after this. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli, there he is for his midday word. A bit of a rollover here. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a four-day sprint higher. You know, at the lows uh, of the middle part of August, we got in the S&P just about as oversold as we did in that March sell-off. And then you got about a 7% rebound uh, back in March into April. We were up 4 to 5% this time. I feel like the keep it simple thesis still keeps the market supported here, which is we continue to walk the path uh, of a softish landing, economic resilience and disinflation. Uh, you had cyclicals holding up versus defensive even during the shakeout. Credit didn't give you a reason to worry. Earnings estimates have uh, been firm as well. So all that stuff is great. Uh, and it's really much more a matter of how far that gets us because we didn't really uh, get washed out or anything like that. So not sure what end of the month has anything to do with it, except it's a little bit of maybe, uh, you know, hesitation or get, getting things into neutral before the jobs number. We've been on a pretty good streak in terms of market friendly data points. Now maybe we do, to Josh's point, have to really, really be careful 
watching the consumer in the next four weeks and beyond. Yeah, I don't think that anything that's going on lets us escape the we're kind of late cycle. You know, you don't really go much lower than three and a half unemployment. You're starting to see some pressure on parts of uh, consumer spending. So we're going to be alert to those things. And, you know, as we've been saying yesterday as well, you know, softer than, than expected economic news can work in a positive way in limited doses. It can't just be the story uh, in, indefinitely because you want ultimately growth to hold up pretty well. I'll see you in a few hours. Thank you. Mike Santoli, we'll see him on Closing Bell, of course. Ahead, the earnings setup on one of this year's laggards. The street's still bullish on it. Josh owns it. We'll get his take coming up. We're back on the half in a couple. It's tough sledding for ChargePoint, struggling over the last year. It's down 55%. I want to talk about it because they do report earnings next week, middle of next week. We haven't talked about it that often. Uh, yeah. Certainly not lately, Josh. Number one, do you still own it? Yeah. And number two, what's your what's your outlook? There's not really much positive to say. This is a mismanaged situation. They're in a great sector. They're getting no credit for the work that they're doing. It's not a small company. It's a full-year revenue base of $677 million. But they did not get the memo that it was time to start focusing on profitability, like a lot of other cutting-edge technology companies did circa 2021, 2022. So they are still reporting quarterly losses. Wall Street doesn't want to hear it. Uh, I don't really see that getting better this quarter or next quarter. The only reason it's still in my portfolio is because I'm stubborn. And the market has gone up a lot. The stock has gone down a lot. So it's almost tiny. Wouldn't even matter if it doubled from here. I wouldn't feel it. So I'm not excited. I have no faith whatsoever in anything they're going to say. And I highly recommend people do not pay attention to this business. <laughs> well, then why not sell it? Why not just sell it? I probably it? will. Yeah. If it's meaningless in your portfolio, why clutter will. it? I have a few of these. So uh, we'll step away and we uh, will come back and do final trades on the other side. Well, we got a good one shaping up a closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern today. Goldman's Tony Pascarello, he had, heads up their hedge fund coverage over at Goldman Sachs. So we're going to talk about markets, obviously, where he sees things going. This whole idea, too, that, you know, institutions are underweight, mega cap tech. We're going to find out exactly what the story is there. Joe Turnover with me, Nicole Webb, Stacey Rascon, too. Mentioned him earlier as downgrade of Texas Instruments. He'll be with us ahead of Broadcom. And don't want to miss one of the top-rated analysts on Wall Street. Give his take ahead of that. Shan, you got a final thought before we do final trades? I do. Uh, news out of Europe over the last couple of weeks has been very disappointing, Scott. And I know we talked a lot about this coming into this year. Europe was better than expected this winter. Really looking at um, European revenue for companies is going to be necessary as they're basically in a stagflation scenario right now. Okay. Uh, Jenny, why don't okay. you go first with the final trade for All us right. today? Whirlpool, perpetuating my theme of us thinking the consumer is going to be even weaker than expected and that some of these consumer-oriented stocks have wildly overly discounted consumer weakness. Whirlpool's got a 5% yield, tra really great company. All right. So uh, you're still optimistic about durables? Yes, but really it's a comment on the consumer, that yeah, they're not I that weak and that they still need to buy things. Jason Snyder. I like the energy trade here. I mean, CVX is, is the way I'd like to play it. A dividend yield of 3.77%. The strategic petroleum reserve has to be filled, and obviously energy prices are on the rise. This is the way I like to play it here. All right. Energy was, I mean, at one point, uh, maybe it still is one of the only sectors, if the only, in the, in the green for, for the month of August, albeit slightly. Josh Brown, there it is, Uber at the bottom. This is the stock I'm most excited about in the second half of this year. I think uh, 
it probably finishes the year with a five handle and gets added to the S&P 500. And uh, this is like one of my favorite names. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.